Last week we talked about Satan, right? And really the, the origin of Satan. And this week we're talking, we're in a series called Old Scratch, of course. And it's all about uh, Satan, demons, exorcism, and possession. Last week was about the origin of Satan. This week we're talking about agents of darkness. That's to say demons and fallen angels in the demonic realm. So here's the question I would like to pose to you as we begin. And it's this, do you believe do you believe in all the stuff? Do you believe in like the spiritual realm that there's beings that are walking around and, and we don't see it, right? There's angels, even in this room possibly, are there, could there be angels and demons and fallen angels in here listening to my words, able to make free will choices just like you and like me? It sounds kind of like a ridiculous idea, I think too, of course, a lot of us. And just know that if you come from a skeptical place, uh, I feel you. Because I am naturally a skeptic. That's my default position. If you think, then you know, there's a continuum. Like over here, you just believe every conspiracy theory. And every time a televangelist told you something about the book of Revelation, you just believe it. And on the other side, you have people that need like verifiable facts and empirical data. Just know that I am firmly in the second camp. And so all of this stuff, to me, can feel kind of um, strange and bizarre. But the reason that I take it seriously, and the reason that I think you need to take it seriously, is because Jesus took it seriously. A huge part of the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus had to do with the forces of darkness, and not in some theoretical, you know, way, but very tangible, actual beings in the world that seek to do you harm. So we're talking about it, but we're not talking about it in a spooky way. We're hoping to talk about it in a non-spooky way. In particular, this is not a type of church where we ask that you leave your brain in the car before you come in. You're welcome to bring it in with you, and uh, we encourage you to do so. So we're just trying to be smart, but also learn about all of these different um, things that, according to Jesus, are very important and absolutely have an impact on our day-to-day -day lives. Just by way of review, last week we talked about the origin of Satan, and these were the five points. Don't worry, they're not on your notes. Number one is this. Satan is not a metaphor, allegory, or symbol. Satan is a real created being. Some theologians would teach that he's just symbolic of the evil in humanity. That's fine if you want to believe that, but that's not what the Scripture teaches, of course. Number two, Satan is not God's equal. Satan was created by God and is weaker than God in every way. We talked about the yin and the yang, right? We don't live in a yin and yang universe where God and Satan are equal but opposite forces in the world that somehow add balance. No, Satan, just like humanity, is a created being, and so we're weaker than God. We're weaker, we are, and so are um, so is Satan, and so is everything in the angelic realm, uh, weaker than God in every way. Number three, Satan hates God, yet cannot defeat him. So instead, he wreaks havoc on the people God loves. Number four, Satan's primary downfall was pride, which serves as a strong warning for us all. We talked about that last week. Feel free to pick up the CD or listen on, online. Number five, the gospel is good news about the defeat of evil and our rescue from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Okay, so that was last week. This week, I've had a bunch of different conversations with people. As I'm sure you can imagine, it has been real interesting. Uh, we've, we've, had, we've even had special people that heard we were talking about the demonic that have come to visit us this, uh, this service to hear part two. So it's, uh, as you might imagine, there's lots of different opinions. And I'm fielding lots of different people 
and all of their opinions about all of this type of stuff. But I did get, in particular, uh, a number of questions that were specifically about maybe you could just say authority, right? Who's in charge of what? Like if someone were to ask you, okay, you know, the earth, right? Is, is this like, is God, is God the ruler here? Or like, is maybe are humans the ruler? Or isn't there something in the Bible about like Satan maybe being the ruler? So it might feel confusing. So I printed out a, a supplemental little card that you guys can leave in your Bible or whatever. But it's the biblical story of authority. Hopefully it clears it up. It clears it up for some of us. Number one is this, God holds all authority. So all ultimate authority is always and only in God's world. Every other authority that we have is given by God and is just on loan from the God who ultimately holds all authority. Number two is this, Satan wanted it all but lost everything he had. Talked about that last week. Number three, God delegated authority to us on the earth. You picture this in the garden, right? That he... he, tells us to take dominion of the earth, that we are to be caretakers of the earth. Number four, Satan tricked us into giving it to him. Number five, Satan now rules as the prince of this world. It's Bible language. By the way, this word prince, it comes from the word archon, which means a a limited ruler of a specific region. So it's not unlimited power. It's not being an unlimited ruler. It's being a limited ruler. Think maybe a mayor of a city. It has been given a certain amount of power, but certainly not absolute power. Uh, Number six, Jesus came to reclaim rulership on behalf of God and us. This is what happens in the cross. Number seven, our salvation includes reigning with Christ and judging angels. So, it's a, it's a, so if, if someone were to ask you, who is in charge of the world, you might respond with this, when? You're talking about right now on this side of the cross, because before the cross, there's some different, and you know, you think about the future, but ultimately all authority uh, comes to God, and the only authority that the demonic realm has is what we give them. That's the point to um, remember. Okay, are you ready for your six points? These are all fill-ins. We're just going to go through them, and... Hopefully they're clear. Here we go. Number one is this. Demons are not disembodied spirits or ghosts. Demons were not once people. And if you, I know you don't know how to spell disembodied. It's fine. I, we uh, approve of that double look that you guys are all doing right now. It's fine. D-I-S. Demons are not disembodied spirits or ghosts. Demons were not once people. See, the Bible does not teach that when you die, you end up turning, you turn into a spirit and you hang around for a while moving the furniture, right? Or like living in the attic. There is, um, there is people that teach that. There are people. Uh, and those people are called Hollywood. Right? That's what Hollywood teaches you, right? That when somebody dies, what do they do? They hang around the house, until their business is accomplished, right? That could be something positive. Maybe they need to make sure their loved ones are taken care of or they need to, you know, do this or do that. Of course, in some horror movies, it's a spirit that has died and wants to take possession of another body, right? But they have like a mission. So they're staying in the house so that they can accomplish their mission. Think about The Sixth Sense. Did anyone watch that? Um, uh, that movie was traumatizing for me as a, as a child, but y'all probably know I won't ruin it, but it came out in like 1999, so I probably should. 20 years. If you haven't watched it now, quit trying. 
So the boy, right, what, what can he see? He can say, I see dead people. I see dead people. You know, you know what I mean? And, and so it's not that they're actually here, it's, but he's seeing their spirit. And they're still, they're still here because they have some business that they need to accomplish. And once they accomplish their business, then they're able to follow the great white light into their eternal resting place. Right? And so that's what Hollywood teaches, and that's a super common belief. But just understand this, the Bible doesn't even partially hint at anything remotely like that at all. Of course, there's uh, anecdotal evidence, too, that people will come and someone will tell me, well, you know, Pastor David, I, one time I was peeing in the middle of the night, and then I went up to wash my hands, and I looked in the mirror, and I saw Aunt Susie in the mirror. Look, it might be. I'm just saying... There's nothing like that remotely in the Bible at all. It is a belief, but it's not a Christian belief that spirits hang around, disembodied spirits from humans hang around on planet Earth. That's not what Christians teach. Um, If you want my opinion on it, I would say this. I, I do believe that supernatural beings do sometimes come and appear to us as people that we know, some possibly for some noble reasons that I can't personally think of right now, but certainly for nefarious reasons. So just know this, that if you saw something in the mirror, it wasn't Aunt Susie. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. It might have looked like Aunt Susie, but it wasn't Aunt Susie. So you might be thinking, well, what happened to Aunt Susie? Okay, glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It's this, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So what happened to Susie? She died once and then she went and faced judgment. That's what happens. By the way, that, that's only scary if you don't trust the character of the judge, right? So, so for us, N.T. Wright talks about judgment for, for us is a cause of celebration more than dread because we, we understand that in Christ, when we are judged, we're judged uh, not based on what we do, but, what on Christ, but on what Christ did. And so what Aunt Susie, what happened to Aunt Susie is she died. She, you know, was raised and met with the Lord to be judged, um, who, because of her faith in Christ, was judged righteous. And so it's only scary if you don't trust the judge, but in our particular case, the judge who will be judging us once we die is love himself. Number two is this. Demons may be different than fallen angels, Notice, can you sense the humility in that statement? Maybe. They might be, and they might not be. Demons may be different than fallen angels. Demons particularly desire to manipulate humans from the inside. Demons particularly desire to manipulate humans from the inside. So when you go to the New Testament, you see that demons and evil spirits and unclean spirits are all used interchangeably. But uh, they are never used interchangeably with fallen angels or dark angels or angels in general. So it would appear that phrases that have demons or evil spirits, unclean spirits, do appear to be different than things that would be angelic, either positive or negative. Um, Also know this, that whenever the Bible talks about demons, uh, they always seem to be interested in doing one thing, and it's to get inside people. That's what they're always wanting to do. Demons are always, in the Bible, always wanting to get inside someone, but you never read that about fallen angels or dark angels or angels uh, in general. 
So we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, next week when we talk about um, possession and exorcism. <laughs> it's going to be good. Okay, number three. You guys doing all right? You alive? Okay, here we go. Three, satanic forces are disarmed. They have little actual power, especially in the case of the Christ follower. Satanic forces are disarmed. They have little actual power, especially in the case of the Christ follower. Uh, Paul would say this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So see, there's already this, there's this sense, because we're on the other side of the cross, there's this sense in all of the demonic realm having already been defeated. Does that mean they don't do anything? No, of course, they, they still do things, but there's they're still trying to wreak havoc in their dying throes, in, in their dying breaths, their last moments, they're still trying to wreak havoc. By the way, just as an aside, when you read about satanic forces, that can certainly mean actual Satan, Satan the being, the created being, but sat, uh, satanic forces could also just be um, any, any forces of darkness that are like the people who do Satan's work could mean either. So sometimes you, you read stuff and you get confused because Satan, of course, is not omnipresent, right? He's not everywhere all at once. And so you might be thinking, well, how is he doing all of this stuff? Oftentimes satanic powers are talking about Satan, but other times it's talking about um, the beings that Satan works through. Okay, number four is this. The only power demons have against the Christ follower is manipulation through deception. The only power demons have against Christ followers is manipulation through deception. We, we go to Genesis chapter 3, which we read last week, where we see the initial um, appearance of the forces of evil in human history in the garden. And what's the very first verse? Look what they say. The first opportunity to describe the forces of evil. Look at what they say. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Some of your Bibles might say, uh, might say shrewd, right? But I think a very interesting translation of this word is this, subtle. Subtle, right? So, so the serpent was more subtle than any of the wild animals that God created. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? So I think it's amazing that the first thing the Bible tells us about the forces of darkness is that they're subtle, and for a lot of people, I think, I think they, that's an important key because I think they would say like, well, if the forces of darkness were um, affecting my life at all, I would know it because I would, see, I would see a guy with a pitchfork and horns and a red te- in a red you know, jumpsuit. It wouldn't be subtle, right? And maybe for some people that's how it works, but for the vast majority of us, uh, the influence that we receive is going to be more subtle. If Satan himself was to appear to you today and try to convince you to use heroin, for most of us, that wouldn't work, right? But maybe he could get you to have a little bit of unforgiveness, right? That might work. That's subtle, right? He, 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 might, he might let you have a little bit of bitterness enter into your marriage. Subtle, right? C.S. Lewis talks about the, the easiest road to hell is the gradual one. 
are just subtly, that the devil just wants you to take 1% off, shave 1% off, shave 1% off. And then before you know it, you're living a life that you never thought. But it's subtle. It's not like there's one big moment that changes everything. It's subtle and it's gradual. Of course, we know that Satan himself appears as an angel of light which is an interesting thing. They don't, they don't show that much in uh, horror movies. Uh, when Satan's Satan in those movies, you just know it. It's just, it's just him. But for us, he might appear like something positive in your life. I, I like to joke about this, that I think for me, the, most of the time, the devil appears to me in the form of a good idea. I think like, I've got a good idea. That's the devil. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> my worst ideas come right after this sentence. I've got a great idea. And I think it's significant that the first thing that the devil says in the Bible, it's not even a declarative s- sentence. It's a question, right? He asks, he asks a question to humanity. Did God really say? So I think sometimes um, it, it's just worth noting that it's all part of the subtlety, right? All part of the subtlety. Did God really say? Are, are you sure you can't just... You know, are you sure you want to do that? Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it this time. Right? Are you sure? You mean, it's like, this sounds so self-serving. I don't mean it to. But like, do you really want to go to church? Isn't it so much easier to stay in your bed? I think that's the devil. He's <laughs> like the one who's subtly tempting me to do the things that I know I'm not supposed to do. And oftentimes it's in the form of a question. Uh, so three ways, deception, right? That's the key, deception. And three ways that we see in the Bible just so fast, three ways that we see the agents of darkness deceiving. Number one is this, we see them telling lies. I love in uh, John chapter eight, you, you see that Jesus is in like this huge argument uh, with these people, and Jesus throws down like the mother of all disses. Watch, I'll, I'll show you. It's quite the diss. Verse 44, this is Jesus. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. No, I do not recommend talking to your in-laws like this. You belong, or, or, or your teenage kids, right? Like, son, I know that you call me dad, but I'd like to introduce to you to your real dad, the devil. You, you can think it, but you can't say it. Only Jesus can say it. Talking about Jesus, amazing. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Great sentence coming up. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I think it's funny. It's like, how many times can you put the word lies in one sentence? He's a lying liar who lies because he's the father of lies. <laughs> Telling lies, number one. Number two is this, blinding to the truth. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four, Paul would say, the God of this age, talking about Satan, has blinded, this is amazing, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. What an amazing idea that, that the God of this age blinds non-believers so they can't see the light of the gospel, blinding to the truth. Number three is this false teaching, 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. I know I I don't traditionally think of demons as beings that would teach you something, but um, 
Paul disagrees. But it's all about deception, right? That's how it's going to come. It's going to come through arguments and thinking and deceiving you into feeling something that's not true. I don't know if you guys are familiar in Greek uh, mythology, there's uh, Hercules and Hera. Uh, Hera hates Hercules, right? And so she wants to get back at, at Hercules. So she deceives him into thinking that his family is uh, like a group of bandits and he kills them. Which, which is not a bad illustration for how the demonic realm comes to deal with humanity. They, they would come and tell us, um, tell us something that's not true to get us to use our power um, for their purposes. Number five is this. To the Christian who knows the truth, demons are more like annoying flies than terrifying monsters. To the Christian who knows the truth, demons are more like annoying flies than terrifying monsters. But it's a big word, if, right? If you know the truth. If you don't know the truth, I mean, like I was talking to people in this series, I was talking to people this past week who just feel like demons are the biggest problem like, my God, like they are tormented by demons all the time. These people have been following God for 20, 30 years. And it's like, these are ferocious beings that I cannot, I can't, I can't, um, I can't, I can't handle, right? Because they're so much greater than I am, just puny little me and these great ferocious demons. But, but that's not what the Bible teaches, right? Like as soon, and as soon as you know the truth, like you're no slouch yourself. You, you were made in the image of God, which is more than any angelic being could say um, about themselves. And so it's not some terrifying monster. It's just like this annoying fly whispering things in my ear. It just bugs me, but it doesn't have power over me. I think of it like germs, right? As you all know, I am, I'm not the biggest fan of germs. I'm getting over it. My daughter's helping me. I still don't wipe her boogers with my bare hand, though, you sickos. I don't know who does that. Still get a tissue. <laughs> germs, though, if you think about germs, I mean, they're kind of crazy, right? Like, like right now, germs are... Right at this very moment, millions of germs are crawling all over your body. Germs that wish you no good, by the way. They're wanting to hurt you. They don't want to do anything positive in your body. And, and not just on the outside of your body, on the inside too. Like if you, if you were to like swallow your own spit right now, you're just swallowing germs, all kinds of germs that are going all different places. God, this is awful. I'm... My illustration is that they're not a big deal and I'm grossing myself out up here. But, but everywhere is germs, right? And so maybe when you're thinking you're like a little kid um, and you're learning about germs, oh, that's terrifying. How can, we, how can you live life like that? But you know what? You get a little bit older and you know what you learn? You can just live your life, right? Doesn't mean you don't take precautions, right? You understand things about germs and it does maybe change the way that you live. Like you wash your hands, that's a, that's a good thing. You can not hug me when you're sick. I love that one. Uh, but, you're, but, you're not, um, but you're not obsessed. You don't live your life obsessed with germs if you're going to be a healthy person. And I think in the demonic realm, it's, it's the same way, right? Like, like demons and Satan, they're like germs and you don't ignore them, right? But, but you also don't obsess over them and you certainly don't live your life in fear of them. And if for no other reason, light is so much greater than darkness. 
It just is. Have you guys ever been to Carlsbad Caverns? Uh, it's like a big cave thing uh, in New Mexico, but huge. If you've never been there, it's however big you're thinking, it's 10 times bigger than that. But you go in and at a certain point you can do like a tour. And at cer- a certain point, there is absolutely no natural light, zero. And so, but it's okay because everyone has lights and, you know, there's lights on and so it's no big deal. But at some point on the tour, you're in this massive cavern that's like bigger than this sanctuary. And they say, okay, everyone hold on to something. And they flip the light off and it's darkness like you have never experienced in your whole life. It's like deafening. You know, you put your hand, there's like nothing. You think your eyelids are dark? Your eyelids got nothing. It's like just so dark that you would lose your balance and fall over. Um, And so it just feels like that the darkness in those situations can be so overpowering. But then what does the tour guide do? They, in the middle of this huge cavern, they light a single match. It lights the whole thing up. Now you can see see everyone there. You can see all the designs, all the patterns, all the stalactites and the stalagmites. You can see all of that from the light of a single match. So you can say it like this. This is in your notes. The strongest darkness is vanquished with even the smallest light. The strongest darkness. In fact, the darker it is, the more light, the the the, uh, the more effect the light seems to have. And so you might be thinking, okay, so what is the light? What is the light? Well, of course, Jesus is the light. Um, but look at what he says in Matthew chapter five, verse fourteen. He says this: "You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden." Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light. It, what's it? Us, right? It, us, we give light to everyone in the house. So this is a simple idea, but how do you fight against the darkness? By being the light. That's, you want to know spiritual warfare? We'll talk about it later. Spiritual warfare is this, being the light that extinguishes the darkness. That's what it is. You can cast down, you know, you can cast out and all that all day long. But at the end of the day, your job, your calling on this earth is to be light that expels the darkness. And as we prepare uh, for communion, last point is this, number six. We fight against lies with the truth. We fight against lies with the truth. John chapter 14, look at what Jesus says in verse six. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love that, that Jesus says, it's not just that he has truth or that he teaches the truth, but Jesus is the truth. And, and that's the truth of Jesus is how you fight against the lies of the enemy. Of course, a lot of that truth has to do with who God is. I think that... that Satan does deceive by, by means of presenting a distorted Christ to us, certainly. But I also think that he presents a distorted view of ourselves, right? And so, so how do you fight against the lies? Well, you fight against them with the truth. I, I met with a great man um, from the church, been following God for a really long time this past week. And he was saying that for him, when he, when he, felt, when he would feel this opposition... He says, like, I just feel like the devil is in my head all the time telling me that what I have done in my past is unforgivable. He says, I deal with that every day of my life. 
every day of my life. And so, so how do you fight that? You know what I mean? What, what do you do? Well, you fight that with the truth of who God is, but maybe more importantly in that case, who you are, right? Who you are in Christ. And so I would say, if people ever feel like they're kind of being tormented, just as a, someone who does some counseling, people, if they ever feel like they're being tormented by the demonic or by the satanic, I almost always go to how they see themselves, right? Because when you see yourself as possibly mostly a child of God, then you just don't believe those, right? Think about Jesus in the wilderness temptation. You guys familiar with that? It's like the first thing, one of the first things that happens in his ministry is he goes to the wilderness temptation. And how does that happen? Do you remember? He goes out there by the spirit to uh, be tempted by the devil. The devil comes with a big pitchfork to overpower him and pushes him down. No, subtle, right? And he says this, "Did did, did, did God really say, did God really say that? And how does, how does uh, Jesus fight against that lie? With the truth, right? He says, no, it's written, you shall love the Lord your God and only him, right? And so, so he fights against the lie with the truth. And that's the whole battle. And then as soon as, as, soon as you understand the truth, the lie loses its power. So let's say that someone, one of our wonderful host team people, let's say would, let's imagine they came down here and they pulled you out of service right now and took you into the hallway and said, hey, uh, I just got a call and one of your loved ones, I don't know, maybe let's say they say your, your dad or your wife or your son or something, they were in a serious car accident and they're being rushed to the hospital right now and they're not sure if he's gonna be okay. Um, and now let's imagine for this scenario that he was totally lying, right? No truth in the statement whatsoever, but would you believe him? Probably. I mean, you got no reason not to. You'd probably believe it. And what would happen to you? Your hands would probably start to sweat. Your face, you might start shaking. Your heart would start beating, right? You start imagining all these worst case scenarios, thinking about all the things you wished you'd said, but you didn't say. But now let's imagine you call that, that relative, right? You call your dad or you call your spouse. And he says like, uh, hey, nope, I'm fine. Sitting here eating Cheetos, watching the soaps, I'm totally fine. At that moment, when you learn the truth, how much power did that lie have? None at all, right? As soon as you know the truth, the lie becomes completely irrelevant. And so just understand this, that, that you fight, that the devil only has one tool and that's to deceive you. But when you know the truth, it's so ineffective. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And so that's, that's all he's going to do. And that's all the demonic realm is going to come into you. Or they're gonna, not going to slam you down and kill you and make your crosses, you know, in your house spin up. You know, there's a horror movie where the, all the crosses move to, now they're upside down crosses. Look, they're, they're coming to deceive you into believing things about God and believing things about yourself that aren't true. And you fight those by understanding the truth. Jesus says this in John chapter eight, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's your challenge. What's one thing I can do this week to hear more of God's truth and less of Satan's lies? What's one thing I can do to hear more of God's truth and less of Satan's lies? Satan's lies. For some of you, that would be turning off the news and doing almost anything else. 
Like I literally can't think of anything worse because that, that is just constantly feeding you the devil's lies, things to be afraid of, right? Where, and, and you focus, this is a, a good key. What you focus on expands, right? So if you're constantly thinking, oh my God, someone's gonna break into my house. Oh my God, someone's gonna break into my house. Someone, you know, that thought and that fear is gonna expand in you. you. I'm sure you've all experienced this, right? You start obsessing about something and it becomes the biggest issue in the world. Right? So instead, what you need to do is you need to starve your fears and feed your faith. That's kind of like a cliche, but it's really true. Right? Feed, feed yourself with the truth of who God is, and then that starts to expand, and then you just starve that fear. You just don't give it any more ammo. You know what? Yeah, I, I used to listen to the radio when I was driving in the car, but it just makes me afraid. So I'm, just, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to sit in silence, or I'm going to listen to a positive podcast, or I'm going to do music instead. But, but, but starving your fears and feeding your faith um, is a big deal. So some of you may be turning off the news. Others of you, it might be waking up five, get this, five minutes earlier than you currently do to spend five minutes with God reading scriptures, maybe about who he's made you. Five minutes. And it would change your life. The, the, the demonic realm that seems like it's so loud you, you watch. You will see it start to shrink, diminish, diminish, diminish as you learn the truth of who God is and who you are. Maybe for some of you, it would be spending less time with your work buddies and more time with like that spiritual community that's actually encouraging you to be better and encouraging uh, you to understand yourself and see yourself in the way that Christ sees you. Which of course leads us to Jesus as, uh, as we close. I I, what I, one thing I love about Jesus, first and foremost, uh, when we see him and his ministry, when he goes, you know, they could, they could have said whatever they wanted about his ministry. But the first thing when he's going to go and start his ministry, the first thing they say is they talk about his baptism. Remember when he's baptized by his, his cousin, John the Baptist? And it's, of course, an early scene that we see the Trinity. We see Jesus the Son, and then we see God the Father as the voice from heaven, and we see the Holy Spirit as, as the dove com- coming, from, coming from heaven. But I love what the Father says about his Son. Remember that first sentence? The first time we hear the voice of God the Father in the New Testament, what does he say? This is my Son. And I think, I, I think of that, and I think that he was, of course, saying that about Jesus, but I also think that he was saying that over Jesus because Jesus was about to go. The very next scene, what, where does he go? He goes into the wilderness, right? So this is, this is God the Father talking to his son who's about to go to be tempted by the devil, and what's he doing? He's affirming his identity, who he is in Christ, so that he will not believe the lies of the enemy. And so our, our prayer for you guys, of course, would be... Uh, just wherever you land on all this stuff, if you're thinking like, well, that was good. I believe in all that. Or you're like, this is literally insane. I don't believe in any of the demonic stuff. Either way, wherever you land on that, our hope would be that God would help you see yourself mostly as his son, mostly as his daughter. So there's a lot of things that define us, right? I mean, we're we all have ethnicities and we all have nationalities. We all have political affiliations. We all have wounds, right? We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. But more than any of that, I believe that I'm, I'm God's son and he deep, deeply loves me. And so I'm, so I'm not going to believe any of the lies um, that come.